in a nutshell. That's how I look at diversity. But more importantly, it's a heart thing for me. I spent the last 10 years teaching corporate America leadership and teamwork. Now, I've left my 9 to 5 job to help as many people as possible become leaders in their work and personal lives. Some say leaders are born, but I say they're built. This podcast is the beginning of my mission to create change on a massive scale. Join me and follow along as we explore leadership, teamwork, and growth together. My name is Brian Rollo, and this is Lead with Impact. Hey there, this is Brian. I am really excited to have you with me here today. We are going to do something a little bit different today, but also something very, very important. We are going to be talking to Tanya Morris. Tanya is a highly recognized diversity and inclusion strategist, a culture disruptor, an HR consultant, a professional speaker and author, all of those things and more. She has done so much. She founded the company Simply HR Inc. with a vision to be the number one resource for connecting generations in the workplace. She has served as the executive HR professional for several Fortune 100 companies, and she was awarded the 2019 Steve Business Award for Maverick of the Year for her work around generational inclusiveness. But diversity and inclusiveness goes much, much wider than generational inclusiveness. And here in late 2020, diversity is such a hot button issue. And it has been one that I've wanted to address in this podcast for a while. And finding Tanya really seems to be the right outlet to do it. So I'm looking forward to this conversation. We need to talk about how we view diversity both personally and in the workplace, because I think there are a lot of organizations struggling with the question of how to address it. So I think this is going to be an important conversation. In the meantime, if you found us on Amazon Music, please give us a follow. If you found us on Apple Podcasts, subscribe, or iHeartRadio, or Spotify, or any of those other wonderful platforms. Anything you can do to connect will help us and will help me keep providing great guests like Tanya and great topics on Lead with Impact. Appreciate all that you do and appreciate you listening. Without any further ado, let's jump into it. Let's get the conversation started and let's speak to Tanya Morris. Tanya, it is great to have you on Lead with Impact. I'm excited. I'm very excited. I am too. We had such a great conversation not too long ago about culture and workplaces in 2020 and diversity and inclusivity. So I would really love to build on that conversation and dig into what leaders need to be thinking about right now. Well, you know, it's a new world right now. I mean, I I think about it, you know, just in March, I was in Vegas speaking. And when I came back, the world had changed. And so, you know, I tell a lot of employers that this is a time that not only do we need to pivot, but I can see a transformation in the workplace. 
you know, we hear pivot all the time. This is a true transformation. And what I mean by that, um, we've had certain events that brought us to this point, right? So the pandemic for sure has allowed us to say, you know what, we got to look at working differently. So we are all remote and we have seen, heard that there's some increase in productivity. So now that's making us think about how we work. So we got to rework that, reimagine work again, if you will. And then this, this, you know, injustice, this racial injustice. And so, well, some may say that as has always been the, the case, but now we can talk about it. We are wanting to learn and unlearn and relearn, right? So we have some opportunities. And I, I'm excited about it because um, it's long overdue. I love that. I love your focus on transformation versus pivot. Let's face it, since March, I think we've all pivoted so much we're dizzy. Yes, <laughs> that is so true. So maybe it's time to start thinking a little bit about transformation. Absolutely. Because, because I think some of the changes are here to stay. Um, they are. And that's why, you know, yes, we did have to pivot for about 45 days or 60 days, but now it's real. It's the reality and transformation and the new future of work is right in front of us. Absolutely. So let's dig into culture, of course, but specifically, at least to start with, how diversity and inclusivity be become part of culture and really their impact. So let me just start out by asking you a question that I think people might want to know, and that's simply how do you as an expert define diversity and inclusivity? And it's interesting that you asked this question because I really thought about it. And as we know, diversity comes in so many different forms. You know, a lot of people say diversity is, is color, black and white, but I think it's beyond that. It's all of the differences, differences of thought, differences in the culture, difference of people, being perspective. That's how I look at diversity. So when you think about it, diversity is asking you to come to the party and inclusion is allowing you to dance. Right. And so that's how I look at it. So if you're not asked to come to the party, then you, you're not going to get a dance. Right. So I look at that in a nutshell. That's how I look at diversity. But more importantly, it's a heart thing for me. Diversity and inclusion, that's the, that's the one word that I can sum up. It is a heart thing. Interesting. Yes. Because, because I know in the work that you and I both do, Maybe I'm projecting here, so please correct me if I, if I am. But when we go and talk to companies, one of the things they always want to know before they consider bringing us in is, is this going to result in an ROI? Basically, is this going to make us more money? Is this going to make us more productive? So, and I'm sure there's data around DNI and how that does, but I think no pun intended, the heart of it is what you were saying. The heart of it is actually bigger than that. It is. And so, and you're absolutely right. And those employers, we, uh, although you wanted to impact the bottom line, but how do you do that, right? And so I have this, this piece about belonging. That's my cornerstone. We all have to get along so we can belong. So when we back that up, you know, I don't like checking boxes, right? Some places you may have to check some boxes, but I like checking boxes with impact, right? I pretty much like to burn boxes, really, to be honest with you. 
But when I say that you, it's a hard thing, and I'm not just throwing a word out there, but when I sat with a CEO last week, and we talked about how we can do better. We all can do better. So if we know we all can do better, then we have to learn some things and unlearn some things, right? And then take a self-evaluation of us as an individual. And I think when you put the heart in it, you make the decision. Employees can make the decision. You can put all the ERG groups together, all the slogan, all the statements. But each individual have to have a part in this. And I believe when you start reevaluating your heart, then I think that's when you start seeing systematic changes. That's what we want, systematic changes. That's my approach. <laughs> Define that a little for me, systematic well, change. When I think about it, sometimes, and it goes into, um, we all have biases, right? We all have biases. But if we sit and have facilitated conversation and understand the heart of a person, then hopefully that will tug on you. No one ever want to see the George Floyd incident play out. That's humane. That's what I'm talking about. We, whether it's black, white, purple, green, whatever, that was humane, right? That's a heart issue. We all have a heart for human, right? That's what I'm talking about. But the only way you're going to know and make changes, when I say systematic changes, sometimes we don't know that we're operating in un unconscious bias. And we all do. But if we can have conversation, heartfelt conversation, I think that we can begin to see changes. And that's what I mean about that. And by systematic, do you mean that we are going to even approach it in a systemized way? In other words, we may not change from A to Z in a week. No. But we, we might be able to go from A to B. Right. And that's all we need to be trying to do, baby steps so we can be sustainable. Right. So some of this stuff is embedded in us, you know, and that's when I'm saying that that's how we operate. Some of us have been taught certain things. And I think when you sit and listen and have conversation and be open to awareness, be open to learning and unlearning some things, that's when the transformation starts. No, I don't, I'm not saying that you're going to go from A to Z off of one training and one facilitated course but i think we need to hear the heartbeat of people as well and ask the question why we have to ask the right question why do you feel this way right or wrong that's what i'm talking about i think the goal for me when i'm doing dni work is get to the heart matter for transformation which will result into um results on return on investments i'm going to be really transparent and share something that i shared with you when we talked on the phone not too long ago. And one of the reasons that, uh, although I support equality and stopping injustice in every form, it's scary for somebody like me to start to talk about this is, you know, you are looking at a middle-aged white male who, you know, is the embodiment of everything maybe that the person that should not be talking about this. Um, so sometimes it's scary and I say not because I don't want to, but because other people say, you know, where's your legitimacy, you know, who are you to sort of talk about this? So it's a little scary sometimes even for me to sort of feel like I'm walking on eggshells, so to speak, and to be very careful about my words. And I share that a, just to tell the audience that I'm coming from that space and want to do better. But B, I think there are people running companies that are like me. 
And absolutely, they are sort of scared of even entering the conversation, not because of a lack of moral fortitude, but just because it feels like the stakes are so high if you get it wrong. Well, I don't think you would get it wrong because we want to hear from you. I'm a black female. I want to hear your perspective. That's why I think diversity of thought is so powerful. And if we can agree, it's not going to take one race to solve this issue. It's going to take all of us. So you need to understand my experience as a black female. And I need to understand your experience as a white male, how you, how you see it. And at the end of the day, we, want, we can all agree that we want to do better. But we can't do better if I don't understand how you, your lenses and you understand my lenses, right? Or at least hear my lenses. You may not be totally understanding it, but at least have an opportunity to say, you know what, I see that perspective. That's why I think diversity of thought is so powerful. And I think you are absolutely, and, and many more that's white males should be talking about this because we're going to need you guys to help us make the difference. How about that? I love it. <laughs> So if there are leaders out there of companies that maybe agree philosophically that things need to change, but they are just saying, how do I even go about doing this? How do I go about talking to my employees in a way that is going to be accepted and already knowing there's a great diversity of thought out there? And how do I make this a unifying message versus one that splits us further? Well, I think if you have that sense of concern, bring in a facilitator. Like for example, I am um, working with an organization and their leadership is all white male. But I heard the heart of the leader, heard the heart loud and clear. And so I am, um, I'm partnered with him to facilitate these um, dialogue, if you will. And then you gotta bring your truth to the table right or wrong or however you feel. And I believe in order to make change, we have to start with leadership that's gonna be really authentic, vulnerable, and open for change. And that's, that's the beginning of the process. So yeah, it's seven white males that's gonna, they're on the leadership team. They realize they want to do better, but the leader said that I'm gonna take the stance, but I'm not gonna do it because I only can speak from a lens that I only know and operate from. But if we all come together and talk about it, and not a training, let's talk about some issues that are uncomfortable, but it's okay. We want, that's when change starts. Cause it, it, I mean, I gave an example where when this incident first started, I was angry. I had a lot of emotions. I was very angry. I didn't know what to do. And I was sitting there kind of meditating like, okay, God, what can I do? Right? And they said, well, I'm going to do a Facebook Live. And this, my, my spirit said, no, I need you to go where your people are at, which is on LinkedIn. It is not political to go out there to corporate America who pays you. I need you to go there. So I went to um, Facebook and something was tugging on me. I need you to go to LinkedIn. This is where you're, I wasn't looking for clients. I would just want to have a dialogue. So I did put it out there. It was on a Sunday evening and I had so many people of all colors that said, can I participate? We had 208 people on this live that showed up. It, I think it's, it, it saw, I think it reviewed about 684 times or shared so many times. But the moral of that story is that I was uncomfortable. Even me, somebody that's a black female married to a black man, got two black boys. 
I felt similar to what you said. I don't know how my clients were going to judge me, but I knew I had to speak in my truth. And I knew I came from a place of wanting to help. And I just let my heart guide me. And really I've gotten people that talk about different things and open up a dialogue. And I think that's where we have to come to the point. You know, we got to be authentic and be passionate about it. That's, that's the answer I can give you. <laughs> Amazing. What about the leader who says, I know this is going to upset people, right? I know that I have two camps, perhaps. Right. I'm sure there's more than two, but let's keep it really simple. I want to make sure I'm using non-judging words. Um, but we probably are aware there are very different philosophies about how racial justice should be addressed, uh, or even if it should be addressed. So you've got a team of people, and the leader says, I want to do something, but I need to do it in a way, again, where I'm going to bring everybody into that message. If you were the facilitator coming in, I guess I'm asking you to give us some state secrets. Like, how would you start that conversation? Well, first of all, it's not just a race thing. We got some bigger issues here. You're right. So, I, thank you for correcting okay, me. Equities and we got culture things, but I think gender, right? Gender, you know, I do a lot around generation inclusion and you know all of that. I think it's important to collaborate on how we deal with current events, which is this racial piece of it. But also I will have someone that said, this is not the only piece that we're going to address because you got employees, you got some employees are vocal and you got those who are not vocal, but they have something to say, right? They have something to say, but they're not going to say it in this environment. I want to keep my job and all of this kind of stuff. You have to keep the conversation going and you don't have to just focus on one thing because I believe once we get employees to start talking about different things, then we can start building out a DNI and equity strategy. But the first thing I think you have to do before you go in there and get it wrong and seem like you siding when one person, when you got somebody over here and say, you know what, I'm a female and I feel this kind of way. Or I'm from a different culture and you guys don't include me and religion and all this other stuff. And so I think that we have to, if they have not already, I definitely will look at my core values and my culture and ask myself, how do I want to show up moving forward? Do I really want to be transformational and what does that look like and how can we get there? That's number one. And then you build all that other stuff around it. But it does start off with facilitated conversation with your leaders because they have to buy into that because they have to demonstrate that behavior. And then you filtrate it throughout the organization. That would be some of my recommendation, high level. And I'm sure you would agree too, but as I listen to you think, Ideally, in a perfect world, talking isn't the start. The start is philosophical agreement and strategical agreement to start bringing people, diverse people, onto the team so that these differences are not abstract concepts. They are real people. And I've got people different from me around me, and I've had to find a way to work with them and just go through the education that that naturally brings. Well, you know, and I'm going to say this here and not to be mean or anything, you know, we have hired chief diversity officers, right? 
Oh, without all a doubt. All over the place. And we're still here. Mm. Right? We're still here. So my question would be, this is why I have to lead with heart. What was your motive of hiring these chief diversity officers? Are we clearly just that blatant of checking the box? Or do we really want transformation? And I think DNI is so right on the time right now because we are embarking on something that's totally different. I started this conversation off with saying cultural transformation, all the way down to diversity, all the way down to your people, all the way how we work, everything. And I think we need to reel back and say, okay, what was my motive? And I may have had really good motives of getting a, a, a diversity officer in there, and I may have the numbers to support it. I may have all of that good stuff, which is good stuff. But do I have impact? Right. And impact starts with each individual one of us. It's a hard thing. I mean, it really is. Yeah. And as an HR person, you know, and again, this is a dangerous <laughs> territory for me, so I want to make sure I word my word, you know, phrase my words very correctly. But anytime you legislate something, you encourage people to check the box. So I'm not saying that we shouldn't legislate, but I know to your point that, for instance, if organizations have written goals that they have to meet for hiring, and they do, they literally have to check the box to stay out of trouble. Right. Naturally, there's going to be a drive to check the box. And when, right. we're, when, we don't, when we're done checking the boxes, we're done. Well, you're checking the box to be tied to revenue and return on investment. If you're going to truly check boxes, because if, I, if I'm going to hire and check a box and say I'm going to hire X many minorities or whatever, what is the impact on the bottom line? That's that's the only way we're going to get some attention. If you, if you feel like that's the check, the box has to be checked because we got goals or what have you. But I think if you pulse your employees, because you know there's a lot of organizations out there are doing wonderful jobs with the diversity initiatives. And there are some that's trying to figure it out. But I think we have to reevaluate that culture because it should align. Okay. And then I think diversity is, is a piece of it. And if those two don't align, then we need to reevaluate because, and you're absolutely right. You know, it's so easy to say that not check the box, but what if you have to check the box because you got goals and you got recruiting goals or what have you. But my question is, what are we measuring? Are we just measuring numbers or impact? So for example, if I'm hiring so many minorities in a particular position, how is that impacting my organization? Are they, are, are they hired because we got to check the box or are they hired because they are skilled and, and they should be doing the job? And if I don't hire them, what, do I, what am I doing to prepare them for the pipeline? So there are so many different strategies we can go around that and not just say, hey, I got all the black people, they're going to represent, you know, diversity or whatever. And that may not be the truth of the matter, it could be arbitrary. And so I think we have to really dig a little deeper within ourselves and say, do we have a heart for this work? Because this is where we're at. It's not going anywhere, we're here. We got a diverse workforce, it's getting ready to be transformed. And well, it is transformed and this is the future of work. So how do I fit into this and not get caught into this, the box itself? How do I have impact? Absolutely. 
And yeah, I'm with you 100%. But I've also done enough HR work to know that I've worked with enough HR people to know that there are people concerned with regulations and making sure that when they get audited, they've done what they're supposed to have done. And bringing the philosophical and, you know, and emotional (laughs) mission further than that is what I'm talking about. Well, I I think you, and I agree, coming from HR, working 25 years in HR, I I get that. I do understand that. But I think we can't just look at goals that we set. I think we also have to get the pulse of what the employees are feeling and tie that together. Yes. And to your earlier point, if an organization were to bring somebody on just to check the box, like you say, the chief diversity officer, but it's not really, really supported, people figure that out. Yeah, early on. they fi- And then you, your chief officer need to also be in alignment as well, too. And most of them are. But I think that it's our responsibility to make sure we dig deeper. We really check the motives of what we're doing with the known fact that, okay, we do have to check some boxes. There's some things that we have to do. But what is the real impact? You know, numbers, numbers, people say numbers don't lie, but I think if you post your employees and align that to your culture, you got a lot of dots to connect. <laughs> a lot of dots that can be connected. And it just goes into, of course, the heart of diversity. Yeah, it is. Is that anytime you restrict it, anytime you decide to just talk to people who think like you do, you are limiting your options severely. And, and you're absolutely right. And, and let me just, just pause and say this here. You know, I've worked in many organizations, financial services, IT, I worked in government, I worked in education, just a lot of different arenas. And I can remember distinctly one arena that I worked in, which is government. And it was 90, 90% African-American, okay? So I came from an environment where it was for Sherwin-Williams. So it was male, white, you know, it had a little mixture or whatever. So diversity was something, you know, that's my DNA. You know, diversity was the DNA, right? So when I go work in this organization, it's predominantly African-American. Not that I had any problem with that, but what I quickly learned, just what you just said, different thoughts, different things was just, not happening right and i couldn't understand that so i was called a tom because i'm thinking different so to hear what you said earlier about you know it may piss some people off or whatever some of us have that same experience as well too within the culture right and so what that's why i'm so big on diversity of thought and, and exposure and you know all of that and I had to take a step back and re-examine myself because my peers was telling me I was not thinking like they were because I didn't have their experiences. So could it be that I can look just like you and don't have your experience? And that's the conversation we need to start having. Don't judge me by the color of my skin because that's what we do. And so I know I just got off on that, but I felt like I had to say that. And it goes back to these these boxes and checking and whatever. And I just want the chief 
diversity officer to understand that you're there for a whole a whole purpose really i mean and so if we got to do some 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 internal work it's one thing to check boxes and that's fine let's get into some internal stuff and so that's what i would charge any diversity officer to think and a lot of them are doing fantastic jobs but don't put me there for one particular reason just to check box and make the box look good we need to have impact and we need transformation absolutely a couple of more questions for you uh, one one is a very basic one i think and again a philosophical one if you are the chief diversity officer or you are a ceo and you want to affect change and you have a diversity or a diverse staff i think one thing we have to consider is if you choose to say nothing you're really saying something Absolutely. And choosing not to move forward is its own message. So it's almost impossible to not send a message. Right, right. Uh, you got to yeah. say something. Yeah, do something. Right. You're going to send a message either way. Right. And the second thing, which is more of a question that I would love your feedback on, if you are that diversity officer or if you are that CEO and you have people that think all sorts of different ways about race or gender or whatever there's a million different things that we can be diverse about is it possible to change hearts or are we just looking to change behaviors is it possible to change hearts right are we just looking to change behaviors right are we looking to change people's behaviors at work and say hey i know you really may feel this but when you're here you have to act like this or is it possible to take it to that next level I think for me, if it's done genuine, that I believe transformation and change starts from the heart because you see things differently. How else? I mean, something like this is so critical. I mean, I think about, I have, let me just get, can I give another example? I have a, a, a friend that's white, Caucasian, where she's a community, I hired her, she was a communication director, and we had a difference of opinion about this politics stuff right but we had to establish a relationship that we can agree to disagree right and so she said some harsh words you know about a candidate you know and i had some harsh words and and so we left it there because we were still going to be friends or whatever but we we felt some kind of way because it was uncomfortable Right. which is by the way which is real and is happening every day in companies it's right now uncomfortable but we both went back to just self-evaluate and we both had a change of heart how we felt about the situation and we both had the common goal that we were going to remain friends see when you have common goals then you ask yourself what does it take for us to be aligned with this here. Although it didn't feel good what she said, and I'm sure what I said didn't feel good either because I spewed out what I knew, unconscious bias, and she spewed out what she knew. Ooh, but we both knew that we weren't gonna go to the same direction, but we asked the question, how do we move forward? What's next? And we examined our, our hearts and said, you know what? It didn't feel good. 
I didn't like how I felt. I couldn't sleep that night. I had to call her and, and apologize but because I was aligned to the vision and the goals, right? So my heart changed towards how I received, didn't like what she said, but I understood what she said. Does that make sense? And so my behavior, not to say I was going to be aligned with her way of thinking, but I also, let me just see how I can say this here. From a heart thing, she understood how I felt, and then we came to a common denominator, I should say, something to that nature. So I think we can do something like that. You are going to have people like, you know what, all this diversity stuff, I don't need all this stuff. This is foo-foo stuff. I get it. I'm not changing. This is how I am. I am right on both sides of the aisle. I am right, and they can do all this stuff here. And I think that we have to continue to have conversation. I always lead in when I meet with organization. Sometimes the easiest way to get dialogue and attention is to talk about generation inclusion. Because when I can talk about generation inclusion, it's not so compliant driven. I can relate to that. So I can say, you know, well, why do we do this here? Because we all have different perspective. And then that's my door into diversity and inclusion and belonging because everybody has a picture of the stereotype and I can break that down. And then I can, then I can have people say, you know what? I didn't think of it that way. You're right. I see the transformation that way. I love it. Can we talk about generations for a moment? Can we oh. shift to that? Yeah, that's my sweet spot. <laughs> All right. So I, I have some thoughts. I would like to ask you from the perspective, uh, and take this wherever you want to go, but per, from the perspectives of the older worker, the middle-aged, let, let's say middle-aged worker to however we want to define that, maybe okay. not too far from retirement. Okay. As we speak, there are a lot of those people who have recently had their career plans altered is <laughs> a, a nice way of saying it disrupted yeah. maybe destroyed yeah or it might feel like that so generationally what is there hope for those people as they go back out into the job market and i know this is probably a whole other discussion which maybe we could do another time but i guess i would just like your thoughts on that well i think right now it depends on the on the industry because there is a shortage skill shortage you look at manufacturing, you look in government, and you have the boomers, baby boomers that have all the institution knowledge. But I think what they're going to have to realize that there may be some retooling or upskilling that they may have to acquire if they're going to stay in this market. I think there are some opportunities for them, provided the culture allows them to do what is called reverse mentoring. And if they can do that, that can be a win-win for all. That's one way. Then we also know the gig economy is live and real in today's workforce. That's the new workforce all by itself. And so a lot of organizations are looking at how they can incorporate the gig economy into their economy or their workforce. And that may be a place for the older generation to land. That's, my, that's, that's what I see. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And I'm going to vent about something else. And I, this is an unpopular opinion. So you can agree to disagree with me or not. I know a lot of people would. And again, this is my viewpoint, which has changed over time from what it was years ago as I've become a little bit more mature, let's say. 
organizations still love what we call our 30 under 30 awards and our 40 under 40. And really, as I look at it, I try to look at it objectively, they, you know, they choose to highlight the young people in their organization and say, aren't we great? Look at these people. These are who we want to feature. And as I try to look at it objectively, I struggle to see how that is not a form of unconscious age discrimination and that they're just focusing on a certain generation of people. That is, and I agree with you. And let me just tell you from an HR standpoint, that's a lot of the, the talks that I talk about. Why is it acceptable for us to talk about how we want these younger people, they're great, they're the future, they're now, and yet you have someone over there that's doing as much as they can and it's blatant unconscious bias and we don't even see it. So you see why Tanya goes into it from a generation standpoint, because it's easier mm. to see diversity that way. For example, I'm a Gen X. You hear nothing about us. We are passed over and we are ticked off. Me right? too. I do a training on passed over and ticked off. And so I feel some kind of way if I was in the workplace. I feel that I don't have any belonging. Is that not being excluded? That's not diversity and inclusion. So that's why I said, when you want to think about diversity and inclusion, let's get to the heart of it. And so many times we hit it on the front end, diversity, and inclusion, compliance. But that's why I do G&I. I'm a generation inclusiveness person. I'm a generation connector. So I come in the door from a generation standpoint because you just exposed something that would give many people an aha moment. That's a great example. <laughs> now I get it. You get now, it, right? Now I get it. You get it now. You see, and now you see why I, for a long time, for over 10 years, I've been doing GNI work, generation inclusion work, because I felt so many people felt that when you talk about diversity, what does that mean, diversity and inclusion? When I surveyed many employees within the organization, they couldn't tell me what diversity and inclusion is. But when I went in there and said, what about generation inclusion? the different generation, they had something to say. And I got all of my data going that way because now they, the light bulb came on. Now, yeah, I do. I do see this here. Yeah, I, I, now I know what you mean. Then we can have a dialogue about it. That's, that has been my formula. And um, I had, uh, I'm in talks with a company right now and they want to hire somebody to do some DNI work. And so when I do my discovery calls, I need to know the makeup of your organization all the way down to gender, race, generations. And then they, and they tell me where people are aligned in a different leadership role. And then they say, you know what? We got a generation issue. Oh, I knew that when just talking to you. So it's not so much I need to lead in with D and I. Can we lead in with G and I? Can we all get along so we can belong? Right. I, I love that because you're not going to find anybody who so passionately wants to defend, maybe you will, but I've never seen it, so passionately defend their generation that they can't at least be open to right. the concept where right. if we talk about gender or race, you know, those can be. It, they're, they're tough. They're tough conversation. Tough. Right. But everyone can talk about their experience at a boomer or gen x or millennial or gen z we have them we have children that age so we all and so now i can connect the dots and show them their unconscious bias like i was in a group of people doing a, a keynote and i was saying we have to do more coaching and less parenting 
Well, half the audience was boomers, and they were, and and so the millennials gave me a standing ovation. It's the truth. Absolutely, and I a lot of stories. So that's why I love G and I work, and it, it gets me closer to D and I, and it allows me to be able to do some transformation with hard work. So what you're doing is you're not saying those other things aren't important. You're saying let's let's warm up the conversation. You have to. It's a tough conversation. And then we can start to get people used to talking. We can get them even open to the concept of unconscious bias. And then we can spread out a little bit. That's what we need to do. I mean, I mean it's, 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 it's training ground, getting them ready. To me, for an organization to truly be where they should be when it comes to DNI, diversity and inclus- inclusivity, inclusion, that has to be in the DNA of the company. Right? Mm-hmm. It can't. It can't. It can't be a three-month. Let's try this, or let's try this for August and see what happens. Right? <laughs> it has to be. It sticks. Right. It has to be in the DNA of the company, where anybody who works there knows it's in the DNA. We're attracting employees who feel that way about inclusive inclusivity and diversity, um, and that message is spread consciously and unconsciously throughout the organization. But my point is. If we can agree on that, that can seem like a lot to, that can seem like a long road for a company who's not there yet. And really, the key is to just start. Just start. Yeah, just to start sustainability. Now, I work with a lot of organizations that don't have a DNI strategy. And to me, those are the best ones, right? Mm. And the reason why I work with them, because we, DNI is not a one size shoe fit all. You need to own it. And it's up for me to find out what it is that you want. Not for me to push my agenda in an off the shelf thing, because you have to own it and it's, it's a fiber of your organization. And right. so I, I get excited about that. And so, no, it's not going to be a long, a, a short fix, but it can be sustainable if you do things that's mm. the DNA of your fabric. And really, I guess when you look at it macro level, DNI is a piece of culture. You know, it is. When we look at our culture, DNI is not the whole culture, but it certainly is one of the main pieces of a strong and healthy culture. And just like culture never ends, DNI never ends. It's just like management. How management is an evolution. It used to be a time we we supervise people, right? In the industrial age, we supervise and we told people what to do, and then we migrate into leading people because we're more knowledge-based. Same thing. It's an evolution. Tanya, this has been such a great conversation. I thank you for coming on, for talking about the uncomfortable topics. And uh, I've been wanting to have this conversation for a long time, just you know, in my head, but did not have the right way to do it. So I appreciate you coming on and sort of talking through this with me not a problem i enjoy, you know i love this kind of stuff and we can help save these workforce that's it's a new workforce and we got to have these uncomfortable conversations but we got to lead it with a heart got to